past week, Ben talked to you about giving. So the money that we give, and today we're going to be thinking about the money that we spend. Okay, so let's start by looking at a verse from Proverbs. It's listed there on your handout, but you may want to just actually turn there. Just to help us get us get us thinking about spending. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. So Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So, give me neither poverty nor riches. And, and Agur here, the writer of this proverb, is saying that there's, there's spiritual danger with either extreme. Okay, not that being poor or rich in and of themselves is sinful. Um, but he recognized in his own heart that pull to either, on the one hand, think, you know, he doesn't need God because he's got everything that he needs and he can solve all of his problems with money. Um, that's the one issue. Or, on the other hand, if he doesn't even have enough to meet his most basic needs, then he might be tempted to dishonor God by stealing to get what he needs. So he was he was seeking a life in which money wasn't the central focus. Right? He was essentially saying to God, "Let me have enough that I don't have to think about money all the time. Either the excess that I have or the shortage that I have, because both of those two things can create tension and can create spiritual danger." Um, I was talking to somebody the other day who, and I don't want to get political here, um, but they were talking about Donald Trump in particular. So uh, whether you're a Trump fan or whether you're not, I think everybody can agree that Trump is um, not very mature emotionally in the way he responds to things. Ben, is that fair? Or... Well, I saw you. I saw you kind of making some faces back there. So I wanted to make sure I'm not misrepresenting the consensus view about Trump. But they they made the observation that a lot of his issues have to do with the fact that for so long he's been able to solve any problem he's ever had with money. Anything that ever comes up, he doesn't have to deal with it in a mature or Way that is helpful or compromising, he just he, he just throws money at it and makes it go away. Um, so Agur recognized this, and he recognized the opposite danger as well here in Proverbs. So he wanted to live a life of contentment. Essentially, he wanted to find his sufficiency in God rather than in material things or even the lack thereof. So he prayed that God would give him exactly what he needs. No more and no less. Okay, so, so he, just, he prayed, God, give me exactly what I need. 
I don't need more, and I don't want less. Just give me what I need. And I just, I think that that's a really wise way for us to pray. And I think it's a helpful way for us to open this discussion on spending. So, having said that, again, being rich or poor in and of themselves is not sinful. Okay, Scripture's actually fairly indifferent toward the moral value of money. Because, I mean, it can certainly be used for incredible good in this life. And good that will last into eternity. I mean, money and the use of that money can accomplish eternal things. Things of eternal impact. There's no question about that. Um, But, we also see that Paul wrote to Timothy that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So not money itself, but the love of it. Uh, And sometimes the line between money and the love of it can become a little bit blurry. Um, But he warned Timothy that, and I think we, we see that even in our own experience, that the love of money can be the root of all kinds of different evil. So money then can be a wonderful tool, but it's a terrible master, right? And that's how we want to think about it. Money's a great tool, a great servant, but a a terrible master. So today, we're going to talk about how we can try to be master over our money rather than the other way around. And we'll start by just reviewing some of the principles from the last couple of weeks. And then we'll get into a discussion of how much we should spend with a focus on God's calling on each of us to a certain lifestyle. And then we'll cap that off with a discussion on budgeting. And then we'll finish by thinking about stewardship as a church. Sound good? Okay, any, any questions or thoughts before we review some of these principles from the last few weeks? No? Okay. Uh, okay, so point two there on your outline. Some basic principles. First of all, week one, we said everything you have belongs to God. And we've said that a lot, and we'll continue to say it because I think it, it bears repeating. Uh, and it's not just your money that belongs to God. Every single thing that you have, you've been given by God, and it belongs to Him ultimately. Your money your time, your talent, your resources, everything. So that's got to be the bedrock upon which you build any uh, view about money and spending. Okay, two is that God has made you a steward of all that you have. So we talked about this idea of stewardship. And then Ben introduced the concept of faithfulness, being faithful as a steward. Um, we'll be called to give an account for our stewardship. And, you know, this, this can look as many different ways, faithful stewardship, as there are Christians in the world. 
It looks different for each of us. Okay, we, we looked at the, the parable from Matthew 25, and we saw that um, you know, each one of them was entrusted with a different amount of resources. But what they were held accountable to was how well did they steward what they had been given. It wasn't the net result that they were held accountable to. It was how faithful had they been with the amount they had been given. So, and that's our goal. We want to make the most of every opportunity that we have for the glory of God. Number three, hoarding can be spiritually damaging. Okay, so God's given you a certain amount of money. Some of it you need to spend. Some of it, if you have opportunity, you should save for the future. Um, and that might be as simple as a savings account. It might be as complex as investing money into your business. Um, but as you have opportunity, you should save for the future. But then the rest you need to give away. So we spend, we save, we give. Um, and last week, Ben talked about giving. Today we're talking about spending. Next week, He'll be talking about saving. Uh, And then fourth, from last week, how much should we give? How much should we give? What did Ben say? How much should we give? 10%? No? Right, we should give willfully, we should give joyfully and sacrificially. Right, And that doesn't equate to a set dollar amount or a set percentage that each Christian is required to give. Um, it's it's going to be a personal decision for each of us. And it's going to be based on our the wisdom God's given us, the convictions that he's given us, the situation that we have that looks different for all of us, and it looks different for each of us even in different seasons of life. But a helpful way, I think, to think about this question of how much should we give is give until the next dollar we would have given away would actually bring more glory to God if we spent it on our own needs. That's heavy, isn't it? Can you get your mind around that, Michael Gaddy? Yeah. So it's written on the handout. Do you need a handout? By the way, here's one right here. <laughs> so it says we should give until the next dollar we would have given away would actually bring more glory to God if we spent it on our own needs. Ben Evans, can you explain that to us? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it, it's it, it is kind of a it is kind of a mind bender. But yeah, just thinking about the fact that there's an amount of money that you are supposed to spend on yourself and your family that if you don't spend enough, you're not 
glorifying God and you're not honoring Him, right? If you're not taking care of your family, if you're not providing for your own household adequately, then you're being disobedient. Even if, so to say, well, I gave that money to missions, but, you know, sorry, honey, like we're, we're going to have to skip a few meals this month. Like that's not, that's not giving and spending to the glory of God in a way that's aligned with a biblical priority. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay, so that's a review of where we've been up to this point. Any questions or comments on that before we start talking about spending? Kim? Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you apply the same principles to the Yes, no question about it. And I think you will... Let, let me put, push pause on that answer, because when we get on to page two of your outline and six principles of how to choose a lifestyle, point two is that time and money are interchangeable, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And if that doesn't answer your question, then we'll circle back to it, okay? Okay. Anything else? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. Sure, yeah. Yeah, and that was probably an overgeneralization that I made in giving that illustration. The point was that there is, and again, it's different for everybody. So... For me to impose uh, meal missing on my family might look different than it would for you for a season or for a period of time. It might be sinful for me and it might not for you depending on your situation and, and what was going on. So yes, I would, I would not say categorically anytime you have to miss a meal that that is wrong or sinful. Uh, I would just say as, as a point of illustration... You have to balance. You have to balance spending, giving, and saving. All of those have to be balanced, and and you can't emphasize one to the neglect of others. Make sense? Okay. Anything else? Thank you. Okay. Then let's get into it. Point three. Yes. Say that again. That's <laughs> That's surprising. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll pray through that. And if you want to talk about it, we can do that. Um okay. So then how should we spend money on ourselves? How much money does a wise steward spend on himself? Well, definitely not all of it, 
right? We can say that for sure. It's less than all. Um, I mean, you can imagine if you, if you took your money and went and invested with Ben Evans and said, hey, I want you to, I want you to manage my retirement savings. And Ben took that and said, okay, well, I need, to, I need to take a portion of this in order to cover my expenses and in order to feed my family. And you're like, yeah, sure, that's, that's fine. I trust you, Ben. And then a year later, you find out his fee was 100%. All of your money's gone. All your retirement is gone. Like, that would be, obviously, that would be absurd. That would be crazy. Um, but sometimes Christians, I think, treat the money that they've been entrusted with by God kind of that same way. You know, they think, they think it's theirs and that it's not that, okay, a portion of this is for me to spend on my needs and then a portion is, and then the rest is not mine, so it's for God and for his glory and for his good. Um, they just think, hey, this is all mine. And they just start spending it on themselves. So then how much should we, as God's investment managers, so to speak, um, how much should we spend? Well, we should spend as much as we need, right? We all agree on that. Um, but how much do we need? I mean, Proverbs 30 says that, feed me with the food that I need, but that can be a challenging question to answer. Is it, do we just need to meet our need to avoid starvation and nothing else? Do we have a need to live comfortably, whatever that means? So it's, it's not... It's not as simple as it may appear on the surface to think through, okay, what do we actually need? What should be spent on myself? So let's reframe the question then, and let's ask it this way. I think this is a, a more helpful way for us to start evaluating these things is, what lifestyle has God called me to? What lifestyle has God called me to? Because I think the tendency is that we we answer that question, what do I need? We answer that kind of on a micro granular level. Like, on, you know, what am I going to eat for lunch today? Like, can I eat Zoe's for lunch? Or is it just going to be like drive-through dollar menu, you know? Or, you know, I'm, I'm going home for Christmas. Can I fly? It's much better. Or should I just drive, you know? Those are the kinds of questions that we ask of like, what do I actually need? Um, but I don't think that provides us with a great framework for decision making. And I think we sometimes get tied up in knots when we're thinking about it on kind of a case by case basis like this. So I think it's better if we start off from the top level and then kind of work our way down. Um, so... What lifestyle has God called me to? So that, that turns into the answer of the question, well, how much do I need? Which then allows us to figure out, okay, how much should I spend? Okay, so what do we mean by lifestyle? What lifestyle has God called us to? Well, it just means your spending habits that you are accustomed to. 
you know, where you live, what kind of car you drive, how you dress, how you vacation, how you eat, and so forth. What are the spending habits that you've become accustomed to? And then to translate that back, our lifestyle actually determines our need. Our lifestyle determines our need. So, for example, if you buy a house, if you've just determined that my lifestyle, I want this kind of home, well, now you've built in a need for a mortgage payment that you've got to come up with every month. Okay? So that, that has built in, a, that lifestyle choice has built in a need. Same thing with a car. Buy a certain kind of car, you've obviously got to pay for it, and so on. So lifestyle determines our need. Okay? So let's think about two dangers that we need to be aware of when we're framing the question in terms of what lifestyle has God called me to. Here's two dangers. The first one is that our lifestyle determines a set of needs that exceed our income. Okay? So let's be clear about that. With the exception of unusual or temporary circumstances, like a period of unemployment or something like that, God is not calling you to a lifestyle that requires an income greater than you have. Okay? I mean, that, that sounds simple, but it's, it's worth saying. Uh, if you can't support your most basic obligations... It could be that God's calling you to look for a job that pays better. could be that. But he's definitely not calling you to a lifestyle that costs more than you make. Okay? And it, it reminds me of a sketch from Saturday Night Live. Have you guys seen this sketch? I see some laughing. People know what I'm talking about. Brad referenced it in a sermon last year. But... It's, it has Steve Martin in it, and, uh, and it's this married couple, and they're talking through their budget, and this guy shows up with this groundbreaking new personal finance self-help book, and it's called Don't Buy Stuff You Can't Afford. <laughs> and they're like, what? what? What do you mean? I don't understand. And he's like, well, it's really pretty simple. If you don't have the money for something, don't buy it. And they're like, wait a second. So if I want something and I don't have the money, should I buy it? And he's like, no. It's all in the book. The book is one page. Uh, so, but it kind of is that simple, isn't it? But we complicate it in our minds somehow uh, because we have ideas about what our lifestyle should look like that don't really comport with our income. So, that's the first danger. God is not calling you to need more than you actually make. Second danger is that our needs continue to rise with our income. Right? This is a big American issue. Um, And I saw some research on this, which is pretty fascinating. So, if you look across the American public, the group of... The demographic that is the most generous in terms of charitable giving is 
the very wealthy. Okay, that makes sense. We all hear that and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. They have more than they need, so they, they give away the most of anyone. But the next most generous isn't the middle class. It's actually the working poor. Isn't that fascinating? That the middle class is actually less generous in terms of charitable giving than, uh, than the working poor. Uh, because the difference is perceived needs. Perceived needs go up with the middle class faster than their income goes up. And so all of a sudden they become less charitable, not because they don't want to be generous or that they don't even see themselves as generous, but because there's just nothing left over after they've kept up with the lifestyle that they've kind of carved out for themselves. Um, so, so your lifestyle largely consists of what you consider to be necessities. But the key then is to realize that what you consider necessary is actually highly subjective, which makes this question about lifestyle an important one. So what lifestyle is God calling you to? So just summarizing these two dangers, lifestyle should not be more than your income, and increases in your income shouldn't necessarily translate into increases in your lifestyle. So then, how do we choose a lifestyle? How do we work through that question of what lifestyle is God calling me to? Well, we try to inform our values with Scripture. We pray for wisdom. We get the counsel of others. We use the good sense that God's given us to seek His kingdom and His righteousness and trust that all these other things will be added to us. And, you know, we, in everything that we do, like Ephesians 5.16 says, in all that we do, our goal is to use every gift, every opportunity, every relationship, every dollar we have to proclaim the goodness of God with every minute that he gives us on this earth. So that's kind of the... That's what should undergird the, the question as you start to evaluate Okay, what kind of lifestyle has God called me to? Inform that with Scripture. Inform it with prayer. Inform it with the counsel of other people. Uh, and, and recognize that your job with everything you do is to bring glory to God. So if you have kids, you've got to spend money. They cost. You've got to spend money to provide for them. And so on. So, um, and First Timothy six seventeen says God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I mean, God's given us things, and He wants us to enjoy it. It's not that He is calling all of us to be misers. Um, he wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to provide enjoyment and fulfillment for your family. That you know, things that money buys. Um, And that brings glory to him. 
But you just have to make sure that you're evaluating it that way. When you're thinking about your lifestyle, you're thinking about, okay, what, based on what I have, what brings the most glory to God? And what, what do I actually need? Any questions about that? Comments? Okay, let me give you six principles then about choosing a lifestyle. Six principles. And this will get to your question, Kimberly. The first one is that lifestyle is often defined in big pieces, but can incrementally slide over time. Okay, so, for instance, once you've figured out where you're going to live the part of the country that you're going to live in, what kind of house that you live in, you've kind of already, with that decision, you've made uh, the lion's share of your lifestyle-type decisions because those are, those are the biggest costs that you're going to have. Um, so, I mean, that's going to determine what kind of schools your kids go to. It's going to determine if you need a car to commute or if you need two cars um, so where you live is kind of a, that's kind of a big one. Um, and you should take that decision seriously, but you should also recognize that a lot of the upward pressure on your lifestyle as your income grows will come through small things that add up to become big things like children, <laughs> like, like children yeah, or like Starbucks or like uh, whatever it might be. Um, so, and, and that, those things, think about this too. Those things may not even add up necessarily to be a huge number financially, but they can also become significant spiritually. You know, so if, if you're doing something that's, that's a total waste of money and it's, it's not helping you, it's not helping you serve people, it's not helping you serve the Lord, it's really just making you fatter or whatever it might be. Like, even if it's just a few dollars and it's not having a big impact on your budget, still, if it's not glorifying to God and it's still tugging at your conscience every time that you do it, those can still be spiritually significant decisions that you have to think through in your life and in your lifestyle. Okay, so the second principle is that time and money are interchangeable. So how can you take the time that God's given you and turn it into money? How can we do that? You can go to a job. Yeah, you can spend the time that God's given you by working uh, during the day, and that provides money. So you've just turned time into money. But how do you turn money into time? How can you do that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you could, if your toilet breaks, you could, you know, spend an entire weekend researching how to fix toilets, going to Lowe's to buy the parts beating your head up against the wall, trying to figure out how to do it, 
watching videos on YouTube. Um, or you could spend the money to pay a plumber, a professional to come do it, and you've just taken that money and turned it into an entire weekend of time that you've freed up to invest in relationships, invest in your family, invest in your church. Um, so, and I would say to that point, time and money are interchangeable, but also money and relationships are interchangeable when you, when you think about it that way. Because we, we convert time into money, we convert money into time, but then we take that time and we invest that in relationships. You can convert money into relationships too. I mean, you can build into relationships with your money by buying flowers for your wife. Um, Or, to your point, Kimberly, you can trade off a relationship for money by working a second shift at work instead of spending time with your family. So you can see how all this kind of works together. Like, your time, your money, your relationships are all really pretty interchangeable. And so that all factors in, and you have to take all of it into consideration when you're making decisions about your lifestyle. Um, I mean, some luxuries that godly men and women will spend their money on, like a house cleaner or a nice vacation, that, that can fall into this category. Turning money into time and relationships. And sometimes sacrifices that godly men and women make can fall into this category as well. Like if you had an elderly lady who is supplementing her social security by selling handmade quilts so that she can give that to missions. You know, those are all examples of money turning into time, time into money, and both of those things can be built into relationships or can take away from relationships. Does that help answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. because if you leave every day at 2 o'clock, guess what? You probably won't have that job for very long, and then you won't have any money. And you'll have all, all the time in the world to spend with your family. But that probably won't be the best thing for you. Um, so yeah, I think just, just thinking about it this way, that you know, this is a, a three-dimensional uh, way of thinking about our lifestyle, is that it's not just about money. It's money, time, and relationships all work interchangeably together, and you've got to weigh all of that and evaluate all of that when you're making decisions about your lifestyle.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and th- and there's you're you're going to run up against that at times where um, it's just a really difficult decision to make, and you've just you there's no verse in the Bible that's going to tell you what to do, and there's no one person who can just say like, hey, you should do this instead of that. It's just like you've got to you got to fall on your face before the Lord and pray for wisdom that He would give you wisdom in that particular situation because it's it it could look different all the time. I think, you, yeah, if you're, if you're neglecting your family for extended periods of time, then that's probably definitely wrong. But for a week or for two weeks, whatever it might be, you know, sometimes the, the family has to understand that, hey, this is what mom or dad has to do and to, to provide for us. And so we, we got to, you know, be supportive of that. So, yes. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a moving target. It really is. Cliff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Kevin. Mm-hmm. 
Right. You might look for another job if it's problematic, but while you have that job, you got to do it. Yeah. No question. Thank you. Okay, we've, man, we've got to move. Um, principle three, flexibility is a virtue. Flexibility is a virtue. James four, thirteen through 17 tells us not to presume the future. Don't presume that God will do in the future exactly as he has in the past. So don't construct a lifestyle for yourself that would keep you from being able to, say, take a lower-paying job or move overseas as a missionary or shift to being a single-income family, whatever it might be. Uh, try, to, try to build in flexibility. Try not to run everything right up to the edge so that you don't have the flexibility to take advantage of opportunities that, that God brings along. Number four, keep the long view in mind. Okay, so a lifetime of faithfulness is your goal. Not just faithfulness in this coming year. Um, So if you're able, a lifestyle where you can thrive and not just survive will probably enable more fruitfulness in the long term. So make sure that whatever lifestyle that you're... uh, choosing for yourself is sustainable. Don't burn yourself out with trying to be uh, overly sacrificial. And certainly those of you with families imposing that sacrifice onto the rest of your family because you've decided that this is what we need to do. You should be thoughtful about that. Number five is consider the weaker brother. 1 Corinthians 8, 9. So you've got, obviously, tremendous freedom with how you use your money for God's glory. Um, But some choices might have an impact on others that is going to be um, maybe damaging to them, cause them to stumble, cause them unnecessary temptation. So, like, for, for example, if you want to hire a full-time cook and a full-time house cleaner, I know Annie would love that. <laughs> but if, you, if that's something you wanted to do and you did the math on paper and it, it all worked out, yeah, we can do this. Um, but yet, nobody in your church could afford to do anything like that. And, and you, you're thinking that they may not really understand why you're doing that or how you're able to, uh, to, to provide that, it might be better to 
to avoid things like that. I'm not saying the cook and the cleaner in particular. Just it, be, be mindful of how your lifestyle and your spending decisions comes across to others, particularly weaker brothers. Because everything for us, Paul says, is lawful, but not everything's profitable. Not everything's beneficial. Um, so just be mindful of that. And then lastly, just consider which opportunities seem unique to you. Okay, so we talked about this in week one with stewardship, but God's given us all different families, backgrounds, educations, opportunities, etc. So when you're thinking about your lifestyle, look for those signals maybe of God's unique plan for you of where you have advantages or where you can make sacrifices in your lifestyle that not everyone can make, but that you're uniquely have the opportunity to do those things because of God's plan and opportunities that he's given you. Okay, so I'm going to move, I'm going to just keep moving to point four there on your handout, which is managing a budget. Okay, so now you've determined your lifestyle, and hopefully it's not going to change as your income goes up over time. But what's the best way to manage that lifestyle? Well, it's a budget, right? So I don't know if any of you have ever heard of YNAB. Have you ever heard of YNAB? Yeah, YNAB stands for You Need a Budget. Like, that's the name of the program. It's what we use for budgeting. And the, uh, the acronym is, is funny because it's like, you need a budget. Whoever you are, you need one. Even if you don't think you do, you do. Um, and we often think about a budget as a, like, merely a financial tool. Uh, something to make sure that your checks don't bounce. But I would say that a budget is primarily a contentment tool contentment tool and it's a communication tool as well so it's wise if you're if you're a single person it's wise to have a budget for sure but if you're married it's critical okay it's mission critical um first timothy 6 8 through 10 says if we have food and clothing we will be content with these But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and perceived themselves and pierced themselves, sorry, with many pains. So your budget then can safeguard this contentedness and protect you from this ruin and destruction that that Paul's talking about to Timothy. Okay, so how is it a, a tool for contentedness? Well, first, it helps to restrain overspending. And that's the first thing that we think of when we think of a budget. Um, if you're tracking your spending, it's way harder to overspend when you're confronted with those numbers on a daily or weekly basis. Um, versus 
just swiping the card and, and just assuming that everything's good. Uh, because things will stack up on you before you know it. And you will have overspent grossly before you even know what's happening. If you're not keeping track of it with a budget. Um, and I think it also helps to protect from false guilt and anxiety when you do spend money. So something happens, the AC goes out at your house, it's going to be several thousand dollars. Well, if you've been saving for that, you've got a budget line for an emergency fund, there it is, it's in the budget, it's no problem. It, it's, it's a way of showing how God has already provided for that need. You know, and you don't have to freak out because there it is. Uh, and a budget also makes sure that your spending is based on what you need rather than rising with your income. Okay, we've talked about that a couple of times. So it's a tool for content- contentedness, but it's also a communication tool. Okay, it makes financial conversations with your spouse if you're married. It makes those conversations strategic and proactive instead of constraint-driven and reactive. Okay, so like, you know, when the husband comes home and he's bought this new set of golf clubs or something like that, and the wife flips out, um, if you have a budget... You don't, have to, you don't have to worry about those things. You don't have to deal with these things on a micro level. Every time you spend on something, it's not, oh no, you know, why have you spent that? What, what were you thinking? How's that going to impact what we can spend on other things? Well, if you've, if you've planned and you have the budget and it's already there, then those decisions are already made at the macro level, okay? At the budget level. So you don't have to get into the weeds every time a spending decision is made. Very helpful in a marriage. Michael. Yes. Yes, that's good. Yes. For and for the recording, a budget is telling your money where to go, not wondering where it went. Yeah, I like that. Um Okay, and so on the back of your handout, and we're not going to have time to, to go through them, but on the back of your handout, there's just some practical tips for budgeting. And these are tips. They're not absolute. They're not comprehensive. They're just some, some helpful tips, and they, they're pretty self-explanatory. Um, but let me close with this. Stewardship as a community project. So let me just give one last thought here about thinking about lifestyle and budgeting is that we don't have to make these decisions on our own, right? I mean, we've got an opportunity as a church, as a family, as a, as a local body, to be able to encourage one another 
and have, hopefully, open conversations about these kinds of decisions. Um, I mean, a lot of times people are willing to be open about a host of other things, like anger or pride or even pornography, things like that. But rarely do people have conversations about spending, about financial decisions. Uh, because I think there's this idea that these things are supposed to be private and these things are supposed to be personal. And, and to a degree, there's some truth to that. I mean, you, you certainly want to use discretion. I think there's wisdom in discretion. Uh, there's wisdom in a measure of privacy. I mean, there's, there, are, there are people in this church who are wealthy. And a lot of people don't know that they're wealthy because they don't, you know, they're, they're not flaunting how much they make and how much they spend on things and how much they own. Uh, so I think there is a measure of discretion and privacy that's appropriate. But at the same time, when, when people are struggling with kinds of sin of materialism or you know, just laziness in their budgeting and in their spending and those kinds of things, I think it would be really good if we could see that as something that our church could come around us and help us with and help us with it in a way that is not judgmental uh, and not in a way that is disdainful or dismissive, but in a way that is encouraging, that's compassionate, uh, and that just has a view toward helping one another grow in Christ-likeness. I mean, that's what we're trying to do in all of our discipling relationships, in our friendships, we're trying to help each other become more like Jesus. And so this, in our finances, is one of those ways where we're trying to be like Jesus and we're trying to bring glory to God in all of these decisions that we make. So I would just encourage you, and we won't go all through all the things on the outline here, but I would just encourage you guys as a church family to, in your discipling relationships, in your close friendships, Bring those people into those conversations, especially when there's areas of struggle and areas of sin. Um, let, let your church be a help to you in growing in that and in overcoming that. Does that make sense? Um, do you guys have any other thoughts or questions on this? We've, we've kind of condensed the last part of this uh, because we ran out of time, but... You guys have any other thoughts or questions before we close in prayer? No? Okay. Let me close this in prayer then. Father, we are uh, we continue to be grateful for this class and for the opportunity to think through how we can uh, bring honor and glory to you in uh, stewarding the uh, the resources that you've given us. Uh, Lord, we, we confess that nothing belongs to us, that it all belongs to you, and that we want to make the most of everything that you've given us. We want to be wise. We want to be thoughtful. Um, we want to be generous. And uh, we need your help in that, Lord. Pray that you would just, by your word and by your spirit, uh, and through the principles that we're talking about in this class, that you would just help us to grow in that. 
Help us to be better stewards of what you've entrusted us with and help us to encourage one another uh, to that end as well. We lift all this up to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys.